next episode. This is a new and experimental episode type. I'm going to explain to you how bread, butter, and cheese were made in 1910. You will learn how wheat was transformed into a loaf of bread and how milk was transformed into butter and cheese. Don't expect a dry and boring description. This is in a delightful story form that will allow you to visualize each step in the process, which is why I do kind of view this as guided imagery. If you do enjoy this episode, then let me know, because I can do more bonus episodes like this one. Alright, close your eyes, and let's begin the journey. The story of bread in 1910 began in a dark granary of a farmer's barn in North Dakota. The granary contained seeds or grains of wheat. At the start of the planting season, the farmer and his men get out their blouse and other tools and prepared the soil the seeds soon to be planted. The wheat was now shoveled into sacks and taken to the fields. Here it was placed in great machines drawn by horses which scattered the seeds evenly over the land and at the same time covered the seeds with the soft nourishing soil wheat, however, was not content to remain underground, but kept trying to push itself out into the world. One night, there came a warm shower, and the next morning, what looked like tiny green blades of grass appeared all over the field. All through the spring, summer, the wheat kept growing, and finally there appeared at the ends of the stalks clusters of kernels, just like those which the farmer had planted. Some of those kernels had produced families of twenty or thirty. These clusters are called heads. The grain in some of the fields was called winter wheat. This was because the grain had been sown the autumn before and had remained in the ground all winter, covered by a blanket of snow. Soon machines, each drawn by several horses, appeared. They cut the waving grain and bound it up in bundles called sheaves. 
in their clean 
which they were going to use, and then added a certain amount of water to it. Some yeast and salt were added also. This mixture is the dough. Unlike home baking, these bakers didn't do the kneading with their hands, but by means of machinery made for this purpose. When the dough had been thoroughly kneaded, it was like to rise. It is the yeast that causes the rising. This makes the bread light and spongy. It was then cut into loaves and placed in large ovens that can cook many loaves at once. When a nice shade of brown appeared on the loaves, the bakers took them out of the oven by means of long shovels. Soon the delivery wagons came and were loaded with the fresh bread to be delivered to stores and homes. And that is the story of bread from seed to table. Now, what goes well with bread? Butter, of course. Let's now go to a dairy farm to learn about the story of butter. And we're going to a dairy farm because the story of butter really begins with the story of milk. There are many dairy farms in the western part of New York State. Emma is now going to tell you her experience in 1910 of being on a dairy farm. Last summer, I spent my vacation on Uncle Ben's farm with Cousin Frank. Every day, just before sundown, we went to the pasture for the cows. There were about 25 of them and they always seemed perfectly contented after a long day of feasting on rich grass and clover. After we drove them into the barnyard, Uncle Ben helped us fasten them in the barn. Then the men brought the bread bales and the cans to begin milking. Cousin Frank and I always helped, although can milk much faster than I. Some of the cows gave two or three quarts, while others gave many gallons. We strained the milk into cans, holding eight gallons each, and put them into tanks of water to cool. After milking was finished, we turned the cattle into the barnyard for the night. In the morning, we commenced milking about sunrise. After breakfast, the cans were loaded into a spring wagon, and Uncle Ben drove to the depot. Here, they were put on the milk train, which took them to the city. Many other people sent milk on the same train, 
it was sent to bakeries, to hotels and restaurants, and to milkmen, of course, who delivered it from house to house. Usually the milkmen put the milk into pint or quart bottles for people who like to have it in that form. Uncle Ben told us that much of the milk that is sent to New York City is bottled before it is sent. The bottling is done by machinery. He also told us that because of the great importance of having pure milk, there are, in all cities, inspectors who carefully examine the milk and report to the Board of Health. The cows are also inspected to make sure that none are sick. Each evening, someone drove to the depot again to get empty cans, which the milk train had brought home. These were always carefully washed in hot water before being used again. One day, after I'd been on the farm about a week, Uncle Ben took Frank and me to the creamery. A creamery is a place where the milk and cream are separated and butter is made. We found several wagon loads of milk being unloaded. The milk was weighed as it was received because it is sold by weight. The milk was then strained into a large, galvanized, iron tub from which a pipe carried it into a circular machine called the separator. The separator revolves rapidly, throwing the milk, which is heavier than the cream, to the outer edge. Passes through small holes into a compartment by itself. The cream rises along the center and passes through another set of openings into a special compartment. A pipe carries it into a large vat, while another pipe conveys the milk to large tanks. Uncle Ben told me that when people make their own butter, they must wait for the cream to rise on the milk. The cream is then skimmed off, and the milk is called skimmed milk. The separator takes out only the part needed in making butter. For each hundred pounds of milk delivered, farmers get back 75 pounds of skimmed milk and the pay for their cream. The creamery man told me that he can get four to six pounds of butter from 100 pounds of milk. The cream remains in the large vat for about 24 hours before it is churned. The churn is a great barrel made to revolve by machinery. It probably takes from 
five minutes to one hour to churn. The man told me that he made from 250 to 600 pounds of butter at a single churning. He said that some churns would produce more than 1,000 pounds at a churning. Now, not all of the cream is made into butter. There is left in the bottom of the churn a liquid that is called buttermilk. This is drawn off and the butter is washed and worked before being taken out of the churn. The working is done by means of paddles in the churn. It continues for six or eight minutes and squeezes the liquid out of the butter. While the butter is being worked, it is salted, but not all of it. Some of the butter is unsalted, but most of it is salted. When the butter was taken out of the churn, the men packed it solidly in wooden boxes about two feet square and four inches deep. The bottom of each box consisted of strips as wide as a square of butter. These were held together by a clamp and the sides were hooked to the bottom and to one another. When the butter is to be cut into squares, these sides are removed and zinc ones take their places. In these there are slits running from top to bottom. Through these slits a wire saw is run and so the butter is quickly cut into one or two pound squares. Butter is then wrapped in fancy papers upon which the name of the butter or the name of the creamery is stamped. The wrapped butter is then sold in stores and dispersed to many homes. And that is the story of butter from milk to table. So what else goes well with bread, cheese, and luckily Uncle Ben promised to show me how cheese is made. So one morning, just after breakfast, Cousin Frank and I started out. After a pleasant ride of about five miles, we reached the factory. The first process here was the same as that at the creamery. After the milk was weighed, it was run into great zinc-lined vats. There were four of these vats in the factory, each of which held about 5,000 pounds. Uncle Ben explained that the milk must curdle before cheese can be made. 
pieces of curd were put into a small mill. They were then placed on a board over the vat, and the curd was chopped into strips from one to six inches long and about one inch thick. Salt was then scattered over the mass by one man, while another man pitched it about with a three-pronged wooden fork. The man told me that he used three pounds of salt for each thousand pounds of milk. Next, a piece of cloth was placed on a board about sixteen inches square. Two circular metal frames or bands about six inches high, were fitted one within the other and placed on the cloth. The frame was filled with curd, covered by a cloth, and another set placed on top of it until there were five. They were then put on a table directly under a block was fastened to a screw. By turning the screw, the block was pressed against the top board, and so each frame of curd was pressed. I could see some of the remaining whey being squeezed out of the curd as they continued the squeezing process. The superintendent told us in the press until the next day. We were then taken into the room where the cheese ripens. In this room, we saw large racks reaching nearly to the ceiling, filled with double rows of cheeses. The smallest ones weighed but three pounds while the largest weighed 50 pounds. It may take but a few days, and it may take many months to ripen a cheese. It just depends on the flavor you want. The man said that in England, strong cheese is generally liked, while in our country, mild cheese is preferred. I asked, how much cheese 5,000 pounds of milk would make, and was told that it would make between four and 500 pounds of cheese. The cheese is later covered in paper or wax and then sold in stores, and of course, then consumed by cheese lovers all over the world. the story of cheese, from milk to table. I hope you have enjoyed this bonus episode.